Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven. I'm your host, Jonathan Romero, and today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be focusing on verses 2 through 6. And I'll just go ahead and read it for you. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of its time or of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, here we see first that Paul gives as his final instructions, you could say, his um, his goodbye, in a sense. He exhorts the believers to prayer. Um, prayer is how we as Christians are able to commune with our Father and let Him know our condition and our need for Him uh, to bring comfort to us through action. Uh, We have to recognize that prayer is an offensive, laborious weapon uh, that the Lord has gifted us in our walk here on earth. It is something that we are to use always. Um, it's never to be dull. Uh, it's, it's to be sharpened and well properly used um, because it's an offensive, laborious weapon. Um, and in a good way too, right? We don't pray um, in a sense that we, there is no joy in doing so. No, we're praying to the creator of the, of the universe. Uh, we're praying to our Father, um, so yeah, we, we should want to, um, pray, but again, we have to understand, um, what prayer really is and how it can be used. Even then, when we pray, we must be on our guard and here's why, right? So if we go to Mark 14 verses 34 through 38, uh, the Lord Jesus, um, praise in Gethsemane and he brings a couple of his disciples with him along. And this is what he says. So I'm going to start in verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little, little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping 
And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, uh, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So, the Lord tells Peter and James and John, because he, he took them and he, he tells them, watch while I pray. And at the same time, while they were trying to keep watch, uh, they fell asleep. And they fell asleep more than once, right? Because the Lord came back to them, are you sleeping? And then he tells them to watch and pray. He goes back, prays, comes back to them. And the Lord finds them asleep still. Or back to sleep. So, this is where I'm trying to get at. If we go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You see, first, it says continue steadfastly in prayer. Um, and that is to say that we are to be in a continuous, constant prayer, right? Continuously be consistent and constant in prayer. And this kind of prayer is a devotion, right? When we pray, we must not do it flippantly uh, since we recognize that we're speaking to the creator of the universe, right? So out of reverence, we should humbly come to the Father with all of our attention, right? Not half of our, our attention, uh, but with all of our attention, right? We must be devoted in prayer, in all of our prayers, right? Prayer is, um, is a humbling thing because we can see that we are in need of help and we're running to the one who is sovereign, right? The one who is in control, complete control. And that's one thing that we're saying with our prayer, that we are in unable, Lord, be able, right? We're asking the Lord to do something for us. But we must do it like the Lord right? How did the Lord pray? The Lord said, not what I will, but what you will, right? We let our requests be made known to God, but with that request, we must recognize that it is not our will that will be done. It is God's will that will be done. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, right? Don't fall asleep. Um, don't let your guard down, but instead be watchful in it. We have to, when we pray, we must be on alert. Remember that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, uh, seeking someone to devour. And this is why when we pray, we must be watchful in it. We must take heed. But with that, tells us in it with thanksgiving, right? So also when we pray, we must... Uh, come to God with thanksgiving always, uh, since prayer wouldn't even be possible without the gospel.
right, we've been reconciled to God through Christ, then why wouldn't we be in a spirit of thanksgiving when we pray, right? We must see that. We must recognize that. And we must come to God with a spirit of thanksgiving. And then we let our request be made known. Why is that? Well, let's say you pray for something and the Lord tarries on his answer. Do you get agitated and take back your thanksgiving? No, we're to always be thanksgiving. You know what? We don't even deserve the life that God has given us. And yet he granted us this life. And I'm not just speaking uh, physical life. But that is one. But I'm speaking about the spiritual life that he's given us through Christ, right? Through this good news, the gospel, uh, the Lord not only reconciled us to God, but he made us alive. Praise God for that. And this is why we must always be with thanksgiving in our prayers. But he says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then what is interesting here, he goes on and he says, at the same time, so at the same time that you're continually steadfast in your prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at that same time, pray also for us. So those who are with Paul, proclaiming the gospel, right? And where is Paul? Paul is in prison. And he says, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word. All right, hold on. Wait a minute. Paul is in prison. Who is he going to preach to, right, if he's in prison? Well, Paul is recognizing that any audience that is captive, a captive audience, um, is an audience that needs to hear the gospel, right? Well, obviously, everyone needs the gospel, but him being in prison, right? There's prison guards keeping watch that they may not escape prison, right? So, Paul has a captive audience, the prison guards, all of those who are around him. And he says, uh, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word, right? The word of what? The word of Christ. And it says to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So the reason why I am in chains, Paul is saying, is because I am preaching the gospel. I am making Christ known to the people, and this is why I'm in prison. So Paul is not in prison because he stole uh, someone's purse. Paul is not in prison because he evaded the police uh, speeding down the highway. Um, Paul is not in prison because he got caught doing drugs. No, Paul is in prison. Why? Because he was declaring the mystery of Christ. You see, there's things that Christians must recognize and know that we're not to be thrown in prison just for anything but if we are thrown in prison, it better be because you are proclaiming the word of Christ. 
were proclaiming that mystery, which is the gospel, because only then would that be something that would be commended by God. And not only that, God will bring fruit through that, right? The church flourished under persecution. So why do we think that it would be anything different now? And he says this, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul knows uh, that it's not even his words. Uh, Paul recognizes that the word of Christ that is being preached, it's not just his words. It's God's word. And he's asking the believers in Colossae to pray for him and the others that are there, that they may proclaim, that God may open this door to proclaim the word. And then he says that I may make it clear. So out of everybody, Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, is asking for prayer that he may make it clear the word of Christ. And then he says, which is how I ought to speak. So how are we to speak the word of Christ? Well, we must make it clear. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, this word, we must not mess up. We have to get it right. And when it comes to the gospel, yeah, you have to get it right. Because if you have the wrong gospel, then you have the wrong salvation and you're not saved. But if you have the right gospel, then you have the right salvation and you will be saved. So we continue on and it says in verse five, five and six, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So now, Paul is, Paul is exerting, right? So first, Paul was exhorting to be watchful in prayer, right? Continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, pray for us also that God may open a door. And then he goes back to this exhortation to them. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those who are outside of Christ. Those who do not know Christ. Uh, those who are in the world. And he says, walk in wisdom to, to outsiders, making the best use of the time. That is to say, do not throw away your time when the Lord has given you time uh, with an unbeliever or unbelievers, right? Make the best use of, use of that time and proclaim the good news of Christ. Let your speech always be gracious. So again, our pattern of speech um, must be gracious, right? We're not to be harsh with our words. Um, nothing that is that would put someone down, but that would build them up. And how would you build them up? Well, first, you got to get the foundation right. And that is Christ. <clears throat> so you let your speech always be gracious. And it says seasoned with salt. That is to say flavorful, right? Your words, how is your speech, right? What kind of speech do you have? Do you have a rotting speech? One that is expired, that no one wants, that will throw away? Or do you have a speech that people will come back to and say, I want some more of that, right? 
So we as believers, we must be ones whom the world will see something different. And they'll hear something different when they hear us speak. It says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So when we make the best use of our time, we let our speech always be gracious, always seasoned with salt, right? A kind of speech that is attractive. Um, And it says, so that you may know how to answer each person, right? You may know how you ought to answer each person. Because eventually, conversations will get down to the very bottom of it. And you will, God will open that door and God will show you this person needs the gospel. Right? When you conversate with people. And I was reading here through the ESV study Bible. And this is what it says. Paul encourages the Colossians to manifest a powerful and attractive testimony to non-Christians, or you can say unbelievers, seasoned with salt. Uh, This statement echoes the teaching of Jesus when he called his disciples to be salt of the earth, right? That's Matthew 5.13. When applied to conversation, the metaphor suggests speaking in an interesting, stimulating, and wise way. Paul's comments assume that the Colossian believers are vitally involved in the local community and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way that would commend the gospel to them. You see, it's always surrounding the gospel and that's how it's always should be, right? The Lord has given us a command after he let us know that all authority has been given to him. He tells us to make disciples of all nations and we are to teach all things that he has commanded, right? Teach them to observe all that he has commanded. So with that said, we have to always bring him back to that. Always bring our conversations back to the gospel. If you're conversating with the world, right? With the unbelievers and you do not give them the gospel, what are you saying about them? Are you saying they're not good enough for it? Well, God showed you that you were not good enough for the gospel, which is why he sent Christ to die on our behalf, because we were unable. And with that, we must recognize that those people are in the same boat that we once were in, right? The boat that is sunken sunken below the ocean, right? Dead in their trespasses and sins. And you know, through God's word, uh, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if you understand that and know that, then how about give them the gospel so that they be made alive, right? Because it is through this preaching, through the preaching of the word of Christ, that faith comes about. Romans 10 verse 17, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As Paul exhorts the believers in Colossae to pray, I encourage y'all who are listening, not only to pray, but pray that God may open up a door so that you may proclaim the gospel to them, this good news. Just imagine being out in the middle of the desert and you find water, water that never runs out. 
and you know that there's people out about in that same desert looking for water, yet you have found water, wouldn't you want to give them water or show them where it is to be found? And it should be this way too. There's people lost, dead in our sins, and we are alive. So how about we give them what will make them alive, the gospel? So that would be my exhortation. Reread Colossians, study it up, learn more, ask God to grant you wisdom. Um, we're called to be wise. Paul says, walk in wisdom, right? If you're not walking in wisdom, then you're not going to be making the best use of your time. You're not going to let your speech always be gracious. Your speech is not going to be seasoned with salt. And you're not going to be able to answer everyone accordingly. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. Thank <laughs> you.